0: I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for listening. Um, got a great show planned today. I've got a guest joining me, and I'm going to do something we haven't done in a while. We're going to take some phone calls. Um, uh, as many of you know, I've been in very involved in the mascot issue, so I want to hear what some of you folks, uh, especially in the New York uh, City area, um, have to say. I've seen some of the things that people have had to say <laughs> in the newspapers and on some of the other broadcasts. So, Let's see if we get, uh, get some folks that, uh, that want to really have a discussion about it, and we'll do that in the second half of the show. Um, look, I want to uh, remind people that we are listener-supported radio, and we really do depend on your contributions to these two stations. And by these two stations, I mean WBAI in New York City and WPFW in Washington, D.C. So if you're listening in New York, I ask, I plead, I beg <laughs> that you call 212 209 2950, or go online to to give2wbai.org. If you're listening in Washington, D.C., uh, the number is 202-588-9739, or go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. Um, Again, we're listener support radio. Uh, This this solicitation is uh, a request for you to support the stations, and if you do so during the program, then um, uh, then I get a little bit of credit, uh, at least with uh, with management for for uh, bringing in some money to the station. I don't get any of the money; it goes directly to operations and to um, uh, to, the, to the, the necessary expenses associated with the with the station. So again, uh, I ask that you that you support um, WBAI and WPFW in any way that you can. Look, you can do uh, be a BAI buddy or sustaining member, as they, as they call it. Um, by giving your credit card information or your checking account information and and you basically are just signing up almost like a subscription for your for your uh, your streaming subscriptions you you make a, a ten dollar donation per month or, or whatever you can afford um, if you're already doing it you know what maybe you add another five dollars to that uh, you know, to that monthly donation to the to the station and and that's how we pay our bills so uh, again I'm not gonna um, this isn't a, a fundraising show, but I, I always feel obliged to to mention these issues. So, um, look, I mentioned last week and, and, and frankly over the last couple of weeks that we are uh, doing a book launch next week at Judson Park in uh, in Manhattan. And the book is, um, uh, it's the Mohawk Warrior Society, a handbook on su- sovereignty and survival. Um, the book is essentially the work of Louis Hall or Gurun the Dajay is uh, was his was the name he was known by when uh, when we all knew him, but it took um, it, it took a lot of work to to create this book, um, and while you know my guest is considered the editor of the book, he is much more than that. Uh, so let me let me introduce um, uh, my next my guest, and uh, my guest name is as Philippe uh, Blouin, and Philippe. Is uh, was really the organizer of you know, in terms of putting this, this book together. Look, we've had many that have contributed to it, um, and many of us will be in New York next week. Uh, I've I wrote a small uh, piece that is in, uh, featured in the book called I Am Warrior. Uh, I Am a Warrior. and But I wanted, I wanted to talk to, to Philippe specifically. Philippe, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining me on the, on the radio program.
1: Hi John, thanks so much for inviting me.
0: Explain a little bit how how on earth did you get involved in this in the first place? I, I know my friends Matt um, uh, Matt Peterson and um, uh, Malek Ramsey uh, have been pursuing a lot of conversations. Uh, they did a film called the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the Mohawk and the Refugee um, and you know so I've, I've worked with these guys over the years. And I know they've taken an interest in this, but but how did you get uh, get involved in this project?
1: Well, actually it must have been around uh, two thousand fourteen or fifteen. Uh actually through Matt and Malik, uh through them meeting you, uh afterwards they they invited me to I think there was uh, a screening of some parts of that movie, the native and the refugee in Agwazasni. So um and they knew I was interested you know we knew each other through activist uh, circles and uh, so i showed up and it just immediately blew my mind uh what people had to say meeting those folks the garundage loran and francis the and just uh, ever since that first day I, i'd say I, I dedicated all my you know energy and thoughts to to understanding this and, and trying to share it uh, for a larger public and amplify the, the message so and then uh meeting some of these people i realized that they just lived a 15 uh, 15 minute drive from from my place uh in montreal uh people in ganwage the uh, in game so i started going there as often as i could just listening to the stories just uh Slowly letting it uh, sink in my mind and uh, throughout the years, this idea of, um, of doing a book uh, based on, uh, on Louis Hall, Darunak Taj's works, which had, um, especially his heart, artwork, was previously in, unpublished. Um, and it was through the uh, Louis Hall Foundation. Um, so that I started that work, and Malik and, and Madra also there to help, and Guntineta, and uh, many others who are thanked in the book and gave a hand. Uh, but I was kind of coordinating that work and trying to make sure that everything makes sense. And that's the, uh, you know, we talk about it in the introduction, it's like the risky thing about uh, uh, pinning down and putting in writing what's, uh, you know, oral history, because uh, you're really you know, like crystallizing uh, perhaps a culture that wasn't meant to be crystallized that way, a culture which is uh, like the guy Goa that is, you know, flexible and it's more of a methodology to how to relate to situations and come to a common understanding. So that was a lot of work just to find the right wording, uh, which is never perfect, you know, but uh, for instance, for translating some of the words in in mm-hmm. in Neha uh, in Mohawk language, um you can never come to a complete you know equivalent yeah there, there's there's not Frank a there's not a word for word
0: language. a word for word exchange uh you in you know going from you know, from our language to to english and of course the other thing is in uh, oral history uh, with with oral history you retell the story over and over and over again and as time changes and even as the uh contemporary vernacular changes you some of the wording, the actual words that we use English or otherwise w- would change. So when we look back at some of the writings, let's say of uh, of Louis Hall or even you know his warrior his original a warrior handbook and you know, his newsletters, you might find some of the words that he used seemed uh, seem less appropriate today I mean uh, than than say you know yeah. you know back in the you know, in the 70s or the 80s so so I, I would imagine there was quite a challenge in 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 terms of what do you keep of vernacular that might be a little outdated versus what do you update. So I'm, I, that must have been a challenge.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know that. Like some words um, we all used to used to use. Uh, you know, nation, for instance, and you know, nationalist tendencies that were perhaps more part of the the, the Red Power movement back then, and also also the Black Panthers. It was you know the the approach as a, you know, to counter the uh, American and Canadian nationalisms, uh, but this is not a word that uh, people like to use now. You know, they prefer uh, people. Exactly. Uh, but we decided not to intervene directly in the text because it's really an archival record. Okay. Uh, of uh, Also, that shows perhaps the, the changes, you know, also in uh, uh, more and more uh, uh, these people, knowledge keepers, Perhaps uh, refine their own translations of the uh, of the original words to come to something that's more accurate, and that's like an ongoing effort to try to, 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 to find more accurate translations of a uh, completely other way of thinking.
0: Right, right. I mean, there, and there there are words like like Indian and tribe, and even words like Iroquois uh, that that frankly we don't necessarily use those, but they became so common in the in the vernacular. Um, as native people were were trying to communicate who we were and who we are and that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I would imagine some of that stuff um, might seem a little dated. And I don't want any of this to come across as hypocritical. I think it's important people realize that when you're when you're using text that is you know 30 or 40 or 50 years old, you're gonna have some of those, um, um, what might seem inconsistencies, but really it's the evolution of our understanding of the English
1: language and how to use it to describe who we are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also because, you know, originally these texts uh, were written by uh, addressing directly his own people and, you know, the most militant and active traditional, you know, segments of uh, the the of Um, So, it it had to be explained. That's why we had to uh, construct this big uh, editorial apparatus with uh, a timeline of Mohawk history, a map of uh, in Mohawk language of the different territories, a glossary, and all these elements just to allow readers to to understand what's going on and what was that purpose. Because really, people wanted to know. Myself, having uh, grown up in Montreal as a French-Canadian Quebecer, uh, actually, my mom told me that uh, when I was five years old, uh, uh, the Oka Crisis, I, I saw like the, uh, the the headline on on the newspaper with Lasagna, you know, <laughs> looking at this uh, actually child soldier from the Canadian Armed Forces. Yeah, it's an, icon- it's an iconic it's an iconic it's an iconic image, yes. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so you're you're a
0: youngster. You- it, and perhaps you know it reaches You're a youngster. You're you're just five years <laughs> old during bit, you know, during, the, during
1: the Oka Crisis then.
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> um,
1: uh, I wasn't there, you know, I didn't hold a gun at that age. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just reaches also, there's a, uh, a complete misunderstanding, especially amongst uh, French-Canadian Quebecers, and a deeply instilled fear of uh, of the Mohawks, really. That's what I was told growing up uh, in kindergarten, and uh, the, the textbooks they gave us, the Iroquois were the people uh, burning our ancestors, you know, burning the first settlers, eating them alive and so that's what we were told and that's the fear that uh that uh, french canadians still have of the mohawk warriors
0: yeah we were we were the uh, we were basically the boogeymen right be explained.
1: We, were, we were basically the boogeymen
0: and that's the yeah, way yeah. even children were brought up so and yet it's ironic because you think and about the oka crisis in particular the canadian government committed something like 700 troops to operation desert storm in that so-called unilateral or you know or uh you know, broad coalition in the Middle East. And yet it was thousands that they committed in terms, and, and including heavy equipment uh, to the Oka crisis, which, and, and I realize that some people may not be familiar, but this was essentially an invasion of the Canadian government, first with the local, the provincial police, then the RCMP, and then eventually the Canadian military onto a, a part of the uh, Gunna And this, and it was, a you know, an unbelievable standoff. And, you know, and, and that's, kind of where many people um, internationally got to understand who we were as a people because of the because of the news that was made. So, um, yeah, an incredible time. L- look, I don't let me let's talk a little bit about what's happening next week. We we got this book launch. Uh, I know a bunch of us are coming to New York. I'm, I'm hoping that you know, many of my listeners to this program will, uh, in New York City will get a chance to come down to uh, Judson Memorial Church. Uh, and I think we're opening the doors at 6 p.m on the 2nd of May, so that's on Tuesday. Uh, a bunch of us who, who have participated at, at some level in this book are gonna be there. Uh, it's a great opportunity for people to, for me to catch up with some of my listening audience, but also it's a great opportunity for people to, to hear firsthand some of uh, some of the, what the contributors to this book have to say. Um, uh, any, what, do you, what do you think people can expect about, uh, as far as what, you've done a couple of these already, so what can people expect by coming to the book
1: launch? Well, perhaps I don't know. The expectations can go up to uh, <laughs> what what I lived through. The first time I, I hear these uh, people speak, you know, which can completely change your life and make you understand uh, where it is that you're standing and what's been done uh, in terms of, of violence, displacement to create this separate reality that uh, we're currently living in. So, I think uh, we'll have uh, the, the topper most of the better most. Uh, uh, Mohawk traditionals there will have, uh, the garundagé, Uh, You, uh, and all the, the Mohawk mothers also will show up. So there'll be a, a dozen of us. So I think we'll just start, you know, opening the, the subject and, uh, hopefully we'll open some minds there. Well,
0: we'll and, really and I've got to tell the, you, I, I, have I've, uh,
1: I've, I've uh, screened, Yakoine. I've screened a couple of films over the
0: years, um, in New York, uh, Ray, it, it, in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Commons, including Gunna Zadage, uh, um, the Gunna Zadage film, uh, I have screened a bunch of the, uh, you know, some of the materials that have been associated with, with some of these conflicts. So some of my listening audience, although you may go back a few years, is, is somewhat familiar with some of the, um, you know, frankly, some of what we've gone through. So um, I think it's, a, like you said, it's a good opportunity for them to hear directly. Obviously, people have heard plenty from me over the years, and this is an opportunity to hear from others. Um, this is this event is is going to run from what six till nine or ten. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have plenty of time there, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, six till nine. Yeah, um, and the North American Indigenous Center of New York and uh, Yaguoina who are organizing. So we have
0: yeah, and I want to give my my special thanks to uh, to Melissa uh, Yaguoina for for having, you know, for, for really stepping up. And I was glad of, I was glad I was able to connect her up with. Uh, with Matt and you guys to uh, to really assist because it's it makes a big difference having somebody right there you know in, in as a part of the the native community in New York to help pull this off and she's not, she's done a great job.
1: Yeah, and we're really happy. You know, the the book is having pretty good coverage. We had like a full page in France in the biggest newspaper in France, Le Monde, and uh, all these events. We did one in Oswego in Six Nations. Many people showed up, and. Uh, the thing is, like the, uh, the the editors' work that we did with Matt and Malik and, and Gantinetta, we really tried to limit it and not put our own words in there. You know, it's uh, merely editing and, and present. And and like the interviews that we did with uh, uh, I call them the power trio. There uh, you Paul, go. <laughs> Francis, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, interviews we did with them. Actually, we like did some collage of uh, of many interviews. Like we recreated a narrative because, you know, the way they speak, they, they often tell the same stories, but in different ways. So we were adding all these details. It's kind of, um, you know, it's really recompose like new text out of, uh, uh, out of their own words, you know, but it's all their own words, uh, that are in that.
0: Yeah. And, and that, that's great stuff. I mean, and obviously I had the, Garunda Gay on my show last week. We talked a little bit about the book, uh, about Louis about the, um, uh, the book launch, and and it's always a special treat to have uh, Degarundegay share a, you know share a microphone um, anyway. So um, you know, and frankly, I've had also th- I've had that whole power trio on my show before. We 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 sat there, and Gauntletta was there. We had we had a whole you know a whole panel uh, of folks here. So um, it's and it's always great to do that. Hey, look, I wanted to I'll give you a, a few minutes here to talk about. Um, one of the other projects that you're working with with Gonfanetta and the Mothers, uh, talk to me about what you know what has been transpiring with with some of the work that you've been doing on this thing and 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 of course, it's always difficult. Getting involved in the u s or the Canadian court system is always a challenge and and it's risky. but but explain to me a little bit what's what's going on and what's the what the crux of the case is and uh, and where you're at.
1: Yeah, actually, yes, it's always a challenge, but in business, uh, people are always have to face that challenge because they're constantly being criminalized. So it ends up also building their capacity to, you know, their understanding of a uh, court process and how they can deal with it and how they can deal with it, especially while, uh, you know, remaining within their own law, within the the, the, the and That's the way that the uh, Ghani uh the Mohawk mothers, uh, proceeded when they, they we filed an application in March 22 uh, to halt a huge redevelopment project on uh, Mount Royal um, in the old Royal Victoria Hospital. This is a huge old hospital that's been empty since 2015, and um, actually there were allegations, and uh, especially a, a first-hand witness uh, testimony, uh, to the effect that there were uh, children, uh, Indigenous children. Hired uh, on the property, um, and uh, specifically uh, at the Allen Memorial Institute, which was the psychiatry department of New York University, and also part of that hospital. And that was during the uh, infamous um, MK Ultra mind control uh, experiments uh, in, in 1950s and 60s. Well, of course, uh, a lot of a lot so of people are,
0: are a lot of people are familiar with. Um, the challenges that we have raised um, regarding the residential schools and and the you know, um, missing children and the, uh, the the mass graves and unmarked graves that exist and all of those things, but you know, what, oftentimes what people don't understand is that line between what U.S. and Canada were, were calling schools and asylums. In fact, many of them were called asylums. is really really thin and blurry, and so. The the ability for the Canadian government and the U.S. government to do these kinds of studies and experiments and and um, psychological um, undertakings with with native native children is you know again if you if you saw this happening to any other people and you thought you you think you'd hear about you know, you've heard about things like eugenics and all this other stuff but what was being done to native children it wasn't just in these residential schools it was in the hospitals it was in these Psychological institutes that they were uh, that were they were doing you know terrible things to children.
1: Yeah, and we're still um, we're still trying to figure out exactly how it works all the, the the how these children were transferred from one institution to the other, but we know uh, as of now that there's uh, many more places than uh, than the residential schools where there are unmarked rates. There's all these reformatories, uh, correction homes. Orphanages as well, and especially here in Quebec, there's a a story where um, all the orphans uh, in the 50s uh, they changed their status from orphans to uh, uh, mentally retarded uh, people. They they said back then, and that was to make more uh, to have more funding from the federal government. So there was widespread, uh, 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 you know, abuse of a whole generation of children that were, uh, and many of them were Indigenous too, Um, and uh, so they were also used as uh, as Genetik, being uh, wards of the, of the state, and uh, it was this really big uh, program of, uh, you know, in Cold War era, uh, fight against the USSR. They actually thought, the U.S. thought that the, the Soviets were capable of, uh, you know, controlling the minds of people. Uh, so they, they, they set out to, to find out how to do it themselves. So that was the essence of those experiments. And the indigenous mind was, of particular interest in that process, where they try to, to figure out how how come uh, the Mohawks, who you know live in the industrialized world, were uh, you know used to dealing with Canadian society. How come they still refuse to be part of it, and wh- what is this like the secret of of of, uh, of indigenous resistance uh, to assimilation and, re- and, re- and, and, re- and, re- and resilience. In- and resilience. And resilience, also, yeah. yeah, capacity for survival, but also resilience of the body. Uh, we know about the medical experiments on uh, Inuit people uh, up north that they were you know, testing their resistance to cold and seeing, uh, you know, just plunging them in cold water to see what, what happens. And uh, those are really, you know, and it was uh, in the 50s, immediately after the uh, Second World War, uh, many Nazis had been also welcomed uh, in the US and in Canada. As scientists to uh, make sure that the Soviets wouldn't, uh, you know, get uh, their own hands on that information. So uh, that was still very much the climate of the times, uh, where they they could go very far into that experimentation and get that basic data. On well, and, and, data and, people and people let's let's
0: let's be clear here. Part of the it, it wasn't just the fascination with native people. It was the fact that they could get away with it. I mean, there was there was all of these years between the residential schools and, and you know and the genocide that has been committed against native people in the US and Canada these countries could get away with this stuff they they had the they ha- were asserting the power to take our children and to con- and to, to condemn them as mentally handicapped in New York state because there wasn't just federally uh, funded uh, residential schools there, w- there was one right here on the Seneca Nation territory called the Thomas Indian School and at some point it was the New York State's Board of Charities that took over the funding of these schools and they basically called all native kids ir- irredeemable they, they called them mentally handicapped so just because of being by virtue of our of our race essentially and, and that's a tough word to deal with but just by virtue of being native there were these children you know all native children were be were being characterized as mentally deficient
1: yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, you know, there's still traces of that um, in the way that uh, psychiatry is used against the indigenous people and in the prison system as well. You know, it's just the well, and, and the, edu- and the education that. system as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, so did you guys? You guys had a couple uh, of breaking. Was, yeah. Did you have a um, some update on one of the one of the cases, or what's the what's the status, or what's the the latest on what what you guys are doing?
1: Well, actually, it's back in October, October 27th. Uh, the Mohawk mothers won uh, their application for an injunction to halt the development project and uh, and draft an archaeological plan to search for uh, for remains. And it's also the location on on that mountain, Mart Orles, is also the location of the uh, pre-colonial villages uh, that Jacques Cartier witnessed in 1535. So there's really something. Uh, under the ground, uh, you know, that that had to be looked into. So they they won that injunction, and afterwards there were six months of uh, negotiations. Um, But uh, now the latest news is uh, just last uh, Thursday, uh, an agreement was, uh, um, a settlement agreement was signed by all the parties, and uh, it was homologated by the court. So it becomes part of the judgment. Uh, as a court order, and it's enforceable and public and transparent um and so that allows for an archaeological investigation of the whole ground uh using the best practices, the best technologies uh, remote sensing g p r and all that so uh as we're speaking already, the archaeologists are, are surveying the land and uh and mapping the area mm.
0: well, you know it's there's a lot of a reckoning with the truth that uh that is. That really, in spite of the so-called Truth and Reconciliation Commission, they really haven't begun to really reckon with the the total number of children who have been abused to the point of death at these schools. And the United States hasn't even begun. So there's going to be a, a lot that uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of breaking news over the next couple of years with all of this, including including this. All right. So um, next Tuesday, yeah. um, May second, uh, we we have the book launch at. Uh, we're going to open the doors at six o'clock. Uh, there'll be a chance for for people to to mingle. You'll get to hear speakers. Uh, for all intents and purposes, some of the core Mohawk warriors will be invading New York on, <laughs> on, on May 2nd. Don't be alarmed. Don't be scared. But, uh, you know, you you may have. Behold. You know, look, some truths are uncomfortable, but we're going to try not to make anybody uh, too uncomfortable. But we we are going to tell some truths. <laughs>
1: Thanks a lot, John. We'll, I'll
0: see you there. All right. We'll see you there next Tuesday. Uh, and again, I, I hope that, uh, you know, my listening audience, many of you who have taken an interest in Native issues, will we'll take out the time to uh, to come down. Um, anytime after 6 p.m., there will be a, a group of us there at the uh, Judson Memorial Church uh, down by Washington Square. Look forward to seeing it. This is my first trip back to New York in you know since since COVID started. So again, I want to thank uh, Philippe for, for joining me. I want to... Um, uh, encourage people to, to come out to the to the book launch and, and get a chance to hear uh, hear us speak. Um, all right, so um, I'm going to do something I haven't done in a while, and I, I you know I talked to Reggie you know a few weeks ago about wanting to take calls. Uh, this might be an interesting one because I am on the New York State Education Department's Indigenous Mascot Advisory Council. I have been a a, a real um, Point person on on this fight over school mascots, and and frankly, I played a role in in what has now become this the statewide ban um, issued back November, you know, verified and confirmed and finalized uh, just a couple of weeks ago by the uh, the New York uh, State Board of Regents. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna open up the phone line. So hopefully, uh, it's been a while here. So. Uh, reggie if i get this number wrong let me know it's been a while 212-209-2877 is that the number is, am i getting that? that is
2: the correct number john all
0: right so that that is the phone in line that is the, the studio line so if you want to offer your thoughts for or against the mascot issue look I, i'm going to take anybody on that wants to have a conversation so if you want to uh, uh weigh in give your thoughts i mean are you mad as hell about government overreach? Do you think that uh, you have earned the right to call yourself an Indian warrior, savage, redskin, brave, tomahawk, or whatever your, your school might have, may have used? That number again is 212 209 2877. We haven't done this in a while, and I hope it goes well. I know sometimes callers can be tough. I mean, look, if you're calling this number, a couple of words of advice turn your radio down. The other thing is, you're going to be on the radio. So if you're calling this number for any other reason uh, other than to be on the radio, you know, maybe you shouldn't. Um, and I'm not going to abuse anybody. Look, even if you don't agree with, with the position that, that I have espoused or the, uh, the opinions that I have, we can have an intelligent conversation. So, again, the number is 212-209-2877. And, look, I want to be clear about a couple of things here. This was not a political action. The governor who I don't particularly care for had nothing to do with this. The state legislature had nothing to do, do with this. This this wasn't passed by law. This was something that frankly, I and others, including perhaps the, the commissioner of education, um, had a strategy. And that strategy included raising this conversation through a specific fight with a specific school, my old high school, um, and then ultimately getting uh, you know, ruling against that school, forcing them to change their their mascot, uh, withstanding a le- a legal challenge, and then ultimately the New York State Education Department issuing a statewide ban. A non political, an apolitical agency of the state, one that most whose most of the staff is not an appointee of Kathy Hochul. Uh, these are these are career um, uh, education professionals, so. You know, I, I, I want to clear that because anybody's going to call up and say, well, this is just a woke liberal agenda. You know, it's not. This fight was led by Native people. In, in this case in particular, it starts with me. So, you know, beyond talking on the radio, I am an activist. This is what I do. I, I weigh in on Native issues. And this is an issue that, that oftentimes got downplayed over the years. I know many people who said, you know, I never thought the mascot thing was a high priority. But here's the thing. You've got children year after year after year, graduating class after graduating class that is being taught that this is what a native person is. The image on the side of a football helmet or or on, on their artificial turf or on their gym floor. These 18th century uh, depictions of what a native person, what white people think native people look like. That's what we've been cast as. We have been dehumanized because look, there's only animals and native people used for the most part for, for mascots. So we got put that right in, in, that, in, in that box with the, with the, uh, with the animal kingdom that, uh, that so many schools use for mascots. You know, and, and, and we've heard people say, well, we, we didn't mean to be offensive by it. Well, you used, also use words like redskin, savage, raiders, red devils. I mean, these are some of the names that some of these schools have used. And look, just because you think you used a more respectful name like warrior or brave or chief, it doesn't mean that you aren't mocking our existence. So this is the position that I've taken. It's why I've I've fought so strongly against this. I don't want to be represented by 18th century depictions. Look, if you want to do a historical analysis about what we were in the 18th century, that's one thing. But for a modern-day graduate or alumni who's 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years out of high school to still be running around saying, Damn it! I was an Indian in school, and I'm an Indian till the day I die. Even though they're Irish or Polish or or whatever Italian. I mean, this is the challenge. This to me was always one level of identity theft. We've talked about pretendians. I did a whole show on 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 that. To me, this was the greatest example of identity theft. That or the broadest example of identity theft. Because look, it wasn't even just the schools that use these mascots. Every school district. Or You know, every school had probably a team they had to compete against that had the, these images. And you might have been a part of putting up signs that say, well, get ready for another trail of tears or we're going to ambush we're, uh, ambush the Indians or, the, or massacre the savages or, or whatever. You may have used some of that language in your pep rallies and, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, look, I, I do look forward. I'm, I'm hoping that some callers call in. Reggie, if anybody gets on the line, don't be afraid to interrupt and let me know. Uh, we haven't done much of this. I, you know, I, we began as a talkback show. And because of COVID and so many other things, we haven't done as much of this. Um, so maybe maybe we we uh, kind of break the ice again and, and and start doing a little bit more of this. But And I'm not saying this show is going to make or break whether we do calls again, but uh, uh, I do look forward to speaking to a couple of callers. And look, I, I look forward to going to New York next week and hopefully running into some of the folks that listen uh, to the program. You know, but just as a... Uh, um, Reggie, did you get a chance to listen to my um, my interview on uh, the Brian Lehrer Show?
2: I did not. I am looking forward to listening to it, but uh, no, I did not yet.
0: Well, it's you know it's it's really a rather uh, in depth interview. Um, you, a lot of times when I get interviewed by a television station or radio station, they're going to grab you know two or three sound bites, and and oftentimes they're not even going to be contextualized. So I did an interview. I think it was on Monday. Um uh, with the Brian Lair show on uh, WNYC, I appreciate Brian Lair taking an interest in this subject matter and giving me such a platform. Uh, um, you know obviously I'm on the radio anyway, but um, look, that's one of the more national uh, NPR uh, programs, so uh, yeah. it, w- it was it was great to to have that that wider audience uh, here, an intelligent native person that could speak about the issue. Without, you know, fumbling over, you know, over the subject matter. So.
2: Right, right. And, and speaking of uh, some things, we do actually have some callers uh, uh, queued up and ready to go. Let's do it. All right. Caller, you're on the air with John Kane. Yeah, what's your, what's your name and where are you calling from?
3: It's Claire Rosenfield, and I'm calling from Hartsdale, New York.
2: All right, Claire, what's on your
0: mind? Give me your thoughts.
3: Well, definitely, I think that the mascot issue is there's no question that they shouldn't be using those. And I just wanted to let everyone know that I wrote a book called The Story of Liliana, a brave Indigenous child. Uh, A fiction story, but it's based on the fact that you know children were taken away from their homes and put into white families and not allowed to have their own culture. And this little girl in my story uh, decides she at nine years old she. Has been there long enough. She wants to walk away from her home and find her original family. So this is the story. And she goes into the woods and she doesn't. She talks to the trees and in and uh, telepathically they tell her where to go. And she meets up with a squirrel who gives her a stash from uh, some nuts from his stash, and a deer who shows her where there's some vegetables, and an eagle who offers her a ride on her wings. And she's a little scared she might fall off, but an elf tells her, "No, you won't fall off." And and he'll teach her a meditation where she goes up three hundred and sixty degree awareness, way up high, and she gets to see where her family is. And eventually the eagle comes back and she gets a ride and goes to meet her family and they've been waiting for her anyway all along, never forgot about her. And it's it's that kind of story. And it's illustrated by a friend who is Colombian. So and is, is it a, is it more to to know ge- about it.
0: Is it more geared as a children's story?
3: It could be for anybody, okay. but it is a children's story just because, you know, it's about a child Okay. It's nine years old, but it, it could be. And, you know, there's been truth and reconciliation circles in Maine. I saw a documentary about that a, a long while ago, mm-hmm. and that was very helpful because people even into their older years, 80s, were still traumatized from those those boarding schools. And having been witnessed and heard in a circle helped release their trauma and I also know a chief, Phil, from the Four Worlds International Institute who lives out in Western Canada, and he, used to, he was born in one of those schools. His parents met in one of those schools, and he somehow found his way, and he, tr- he was able to help release the trauma from some of these people. I saw a video his wife sent me of him telling, you know, one by one, he would have people come up to him. Uh, and and tell their story even though they were very diffident and scared and he got them to talk even to hit him if they had felt like hitting somebody and he got them to release their trauma so that it really needs to be clearly understood that these people were truly traumatized well and i think it's also and it's also it,
0: it's also worth noting that that many many children died trying to leave those uh, either the, the homes that they were taken to or the schools that they were uh, forced to stay in uh, you know, uh, Ch- Ch- Cheney Wenjack comes to mind. Uh, there, there's so many examples of, of children that froze to death, trying to make that long trek home. Um, so, I mean, look, your story sounds, sounds, you know, delightful, but most of these kids who struggled to return home or to regain their sense of identity, um, uh, that, that is also a tragic story in many, many regards. So I, I appreciate what you've done here. Um, I, and I appreciate your sentiment on the mascot issue. Um, and, and I want to thank you for calling in. Thank
3: you for, for doing this. This is really an important issue. Yeah. All right, Reggie, what else we got? We got somebody else lined up?
2: We do have someone up, and um, hopefully that person is still holding. So, caller, please, share with John Kane. Tell him tell who you are and where you're calling from. Yes, this
4: is uh, Menelik. Mentally- this is mentally. hello, hey, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Give me your thoughts. yeah. Um, I, you was you was down at um at the um, at BAI's, uh, you had a film about uh, the South American um, how that was a, a, two years back
0: I after the rain. Yeah, the rain. yeah, yeah, even,
4: even the rain, even the
0: rain, so,
2: um, even the rain. I'm sorry.
4: yeah, that was a great I film. Just, i was that was a beautiful film. Also the fact that um, um, what's his name uh, Kefner. uh he did a he did a series but he did a uh, dancing with wolves he did this documentary 500 Nations which is a beautiful uh far as I'm concerned it was a nice um, history of 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 the indigenous people of this of turtle island mm-hmm. you know so I was um you know in the constitution it says redress of grievance so I believe that Everything is in order for these issues of uh, how these people have uh, placated and made derogatory sentiments against the indigenous people of this land. I'm I'm part African American and uh, part Creek. Uh, My grandfather's father, mother, she was uh, she looked like, matter of fact, she looked like Geronimo in the face. <laughs> Um, just to, uh, I would like you to reiterate where where you're going to have this uh, book signing.
0: Yeah, the, uh, in the
4: village. The, the book launch
0: and and it will you, you we will sign some books there. Um, is at the Judson Memorial Church. It's uh, um, right there at Washington Square Park in Manhattan. Uh, doors will open at six o'clock. We'll be there. We'll probably be there till after nine, but the event is scheduled to, to end at nine. Uh, but we'll probably have to clean up and stuff. So uh, uh, I look forward to to any, especially you guys like yourself who've come to some of the events that I've hosted. I'm hoping to kickstart some of that again um, now that we're post COVID and all that other stuff. I'm hoping we can, you know, I'd love to screen some more films and and you know bring in some speakers and that kind of stuff. So um, that's nice. Well, I you know great. I I, I thank you for calling in um, and and thank and I thank you for for attending uh, you know, the the events that I've hosted and. Hopefully that's something yes, we can do. Yes,
4: President. Yeah, you I mean, keep on doing what
0: you do. Well, thank you. I I certainly will. Um, look, and my my hope is to actually make you the make the trips to um, to Washington as well, and, and look at trying to do some events there as well. Uh, do we have anybody else uh, on the queue here?
2: Yes, we do. We have another caller, and caller, please share with John Kane. Tell us who you're calling from, and who you are, and where you're calling from. Uh,
5: Peter, how you doing, John? I'm calling from Florida. Hey, Peter. Hey, it's and, good. To, I, I think I recognize your voice. <laughs> sure. You know, you know, I went to NYU, and it would be better to say that uh, that church, or, uh, Washington Square South around Thompson Street.
0: Okay, thank Just you. Washington thank Square
5: you for that. Kind of Judson Memorial Church. They, they hold great events there. Hey, you know, I heard you on Brian Lehrer, and I was so excited. I wanted to call in. Because I, I had made up a joke and never had the opportunity to tell it. The idea of making it relevant, because they want to keep the, the red uniforms, the Washington football team. I thought they should call it the Washington red tape.
0: <laughs> well,
5: commentary, uh. Yeah, Why well, not throw it in their face? <laughs> throw it in their face. You know, government red tape.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, there's, no, <laughs> there, there's no question that that town um, is uh, barraged with red tape. And, and of course, the, the partisanship and, and everything else that, you know, that this country has devolved into only makes it worse. So, um, yeah, you know, it, look, I'm glad they dropped their the name they had before, but, you know, commanders, really, that was the best they could come up with. I mean, uh, it, just, it just goes <laughs> to show you what a terrible owner Dan Snyder really was. And, uh, and I say was because I think he's in the process of cashing out uh, his uh, – Yeah, he's
2: being forced to selling the team. Uh, yeah, so, I mean –
0: yeah, being yeah. forced to take six, you know, six billion dollars yeah. or too, So yeah, what a terrible, yeah. for Dan crime.
2: Snyder, indeed.
0: Yeah.
4: So <laughs>
0: well, Peter, it is great to hear from you. Um, you know, yeah. I'm so glad that you you're still listening, and I'm glad you caught the Brian Lehrer show because, you know, I didn't get a chance to promote it much. Um, obviously, that's a pretty big platform, and, and I thought uh, Brian gave me quite a bit of leeway.
5: Yeah, and it was it was great discussion. Yep. You were at your best
0: well thanks and you know and it is tough because look i'm going to tell you right now we don't have a lot of people who can do this and you know and and really have a broad sense of 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 identity and ability to communicate you know reggie if you recall and i know michael g was sitting in at the time but when i first started doing this show as a talkback show Mm -hmm. i was instructed to try to stay on point you know present the topic and only talk about the topic and i said you know what if somebody wants to call in and be a little off-topic, I'm okay with that because you know if somebody if somebody wants to hear a native perspective on something that I'm not talking about. Hey, I'm I'm up for that, and uh, and that's the way we did the show for many years. And you know, and COVID kind of disrupted some of that. I think we are at a place now where where we can begin to entertain doing more of a talkback show and. And uh, so far, callers have been great. Anybody else on the, on the line?
2: Yes, we do. We have another caller. Caller, please share with John Kane. Tell us who you're calling or who you are and where you're calling from.
6: My name is Helena, and I'm calling from Roselle, New Jersey.
0: Well, th- nice to hear from you, Helena.
6: Hi. I listen to you every week. Um, I love a lot of what I hear. Uh, on my mother's side, I am um, Cherokee. Shawnee, uh, Manhattan's and, uh, Mohawk.
0: Well, that's quite a combination. Um, hopefully it doesn't, yeah, cause she
6: married a Polish man. <laughs> she married a Polish man and basically spent her life trying to hire herself.
0: I got to tell you something. Can I tell you something? This, and this isn't even a joke. My father was a high steel worker. My, my father was Mohawk and, um, he worked on, uh, uh, you know, he was an iron worker and, when I was a kid growing up, I only knew Mohawks and Pollocks, you know, essentially. And that and that's what, you know, they were called, you know, that's how they referred to at the time. I used to think the word Pollock meant that you weren't a Mohawk. <laughs> so I, I thought there were only two kind of people in the world, Mohawks and Pollocks. So that's the way I grew up. And Of course, I learned better afterwards. But uh, because there were so many Polish men who were also in the high steel um, uh, ironworking trade, and that's, you know, and that was the friendships that had developed between the Mohawk people and the Polish people. Um, it's uh, it was kind of a, a unique bond that uh, that Polish people and, and Mohawks in particular had. So I, I just wanted to share that.
6: Well, what was really weird was my father met my mother and my mother, he said, looked like Rita Hayworth to him. <laughs> so he married her and um, <laughs> she kept a lot of her, her past to herself. Uh she had been—a uh, lot of sh- a lot of crap happened to her. I get it. And her brothers and sisters and everybody went running every which way to get away from it. But um, the thing was, that caused a lot of problems as I got older. Because as I started to uncover bits and pieces, she wouldn't talk about it. He wouldn't talk about it. Nobody talked about it. And as I—I I, I knew I was Native, but— I remember being in a a school. uh, It was a Catholic school, and uh, all the kids were Irish and Italian and white and English or something. And they made fun constantly. I mean, I still have kids remember kids running around me like making that noise with their their hand across their mouth and.
5: And all kinds of
0: things and uh, yeah I, I, I had a, I remember chasing chasing a girl across the playground after she was hounding me with the one little two little three little Indians thing so yeah this is you know that's that's what we what, what we experienced but you know what what we experienced is nothing compared to what uh, so many native children experience at these horrific residential <laughs> schools so but you know this causes this intergenerational trauma and it's not just what you know it, it's not just what the individual experienced it ends up doing exactly what you talked about, closing people off to not wanting to talk about any of the trauma in their life, and so it ends up being you know a a, a a very quiet history and something that is not widely shared. So that's that's part of the issue. I
6: began to dig. I began to dig a lot about my mother, and it turns out my mother was married. Uh, they, they went down well before this. All well, before she married my father, um, she was born down south, and her family. We're trying to get out of the Trail of Tears. So they were running all over the place, back and forth in five different states or whatever. They managed to evade it. They managed to hide in the mountains. The only problem was when they came back to try to go back with the the right tribes, they didn't want anything to do with them. So, yes, I can prove on paper who I am, but, like, I can't go to the Cherokees and say, can I join? Because I'm like, screw you. You weren't there when... um, you know all this was going on. Well, I had nothing to do with it, but my great 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 grandmother did, and so did my gran- my great grandparents, and, and they were there. Uh, one of my great grandmothers, during the Civil War, was uh, they were hiding out, and the Union Army came through. Now, the Confederates are the Confederates, but they didn't even bother them. But the Union Army came through and, you know, dragged my grandfather off somewhere. And took my grandmother and a whole bunch of them raped her and threw her in a creek.
0: Mm. Well, that's why, it's why, you know, it's, it's why when I hear some when I hear some people say that their, you know, their their great-great-grandmother was was a Cherokee. That, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's well, that's people, no, but but uh, let, no, me, we, let me we can really let, prove it. let me let me finish. Let me finish. The reason uh, what what bothers me about that is I think about the rape culture, and and I know that many people who end up having some native ancestry in their history. It was because of violence and it, and it wasn't necessarily a consensual it wasn't like you know they were they were accepted look i i, I appreciate your your call and i and look i understand exactly what what you're talking about and it is it it is tough i mean it's hard for people to reconnect when they have been severed from um their you know that native ancestry and oftentimes it's it's you know can be virtually impossible but i want to thank you helena for for calling uh, thank you for listening to the show um, and you know, and and be a part being a part of uh, the the discussion. Reggie, do we have anybody else lined up? Uh,
2: we have one more caller holding, and a caller, you can share with uh, John Kane. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from.
5: Hello, uh, John. My name is Stanley Wu. I'm calling from New Orleans. And, hey, Stanley. Uh, I just wanted to know how you doing. I just wanted to know uh, what do you think about
0: the Dawes Roll? The Dawes Roll was a scam. It was it was a, for one thing, part of it was about um, allotting the land to uh, to individuals that may or may not have even been native, because once you took that land out of being held in common, it was real easy for speculators to go after individuals for their, you know, oftentimes loan them money and do all kinds of stuff, give them credit lines and that kind of stuff, so they could uh, basically foreclose on their land. The, the Dawes role um, that, that whole period of time you know look we talk about the five dollar Indian and that kind of stuff um, it, it was really a, a government scam to uh, to cheat us out of our out of our lands and 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 you know look so and oftentimes people have looked at that list uh, these these roles and people have tried to say well the, you know look I, my name shows up or my, my last surname shows up on this uh, list so so I must be native and, and you know, this is where the challenge is. I mean, there are a lot of people who may have native ancestry, but that doesn't mean that they've been raised in the culture. And you know, the Dawes roles has been one of those things that has contributed to some of that. I wanna th- thank you for calling. I'm sorry, this is that you're the last caller we get a chance to talk to We're we're just about out of time. Uh, Reggie, I wanna thank you for, for manning the phone lines for me and helping me return to being a little bit of a talkback show.
2: It was a little, you know, a little bit of practice there, but, you know, get the hang of it eventually.
0: Well, and I, I want to thank the callers. Most of you, I mean, all of you, were, were great callers. And uh, I almost was hoping somebody was going to call up and challenge, you know, because
2: I've, I I know who you was expecting to. No, There's not, a couple of,
0: not <laughs> anybody in particular, but I've heard some of these people weigh in, especially archetypes. in Long Island. I mean, some of the these people,
2: the archetypes, yeah, exactly, the archetypes.
0: But uh, well, so be it. I mean, I'm I'm glad the friendly listeners called in, and you know, although I was prepared for for a bit of a debate. Uh, <laughs> Reggie, if you get a chance, um, make it down on Tuesday. I'd love to see you. We haven't, you know, we haven't been able to, sh- you know, shake hands. Yeah, or, man, you know.
2: I, I'm gonna try to make my, I'm gonna make an effort of going there. I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to see at least catch some of it and and hopefully, you know, see you do your thing and pontificate in the ever ever so eloquent way that you usually do on air. I mean, hey, what's wrong with that? Well,
0: it's it's something that I've I've sorely missed, and I, I again I'm I'm excited to make even a long train ride to New York. I'm excited to to make the trip. Uh, it's it's been a long time. Uh, I hope I still it's, recognize the place.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? Never say never, John, because some things have changed here, but. Uh...
0: Yeah, i not. I'll uh, leave it as that. <laughs> even even Penn Station, I think uh, I think they're taking me in underneath the post office now instead of under Madison Square Garden. Yeah, so, yeah,
2: so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah there's something. Yeah, it's, uh, they, you know the, Moynihan Station, the, I think they
0: call it now.
2: But, yeah, yeah, Moynihan Station, which used to be part of the post office, yeah. and it was built by the same people who originated uh, the Penn Station, and they got rid of that because they said it was too old, but now. They wanted to keep the the model of the classic model of the Penn Station because they feel that uh, that the present Penn Station is a little too ugly. Go figure, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, what are you gonna do? You
6: gonna
2: do?
0: <laughs> well, I'm not gonna beautify it any by showing up. But, uh, <laughs> I want to thank everybody for uh, for participating, who called in, uh, and those of you listening. Again, support WBAI and WPFW. Um, we are a listener-supported radio, and we and we count on you. I'm hey. By the way, I'm gonna try to get some of these books uh, to offer as a premium for the next fun drive. I don't do a whole lot of premiums, but. You know, at least this one I'm connected to. I I, I wrote like a five or six page uh, uh, excerpt in the book, so uh, so we'll, oh, we're we're gonna right. try to offer that as well. And again, thanks uh, thanks for helping me out so much, Reggie. I I always appreciate it, but uh, it, you, I made you work a little bit for this one. <laughs>
2: uh, that
0: was a, yeah, no, it, it,
2: There there has been more challenging times. This uh, was this was a, I'll bet. This was pretty easy. <laughs> all right, thanks, folks.
0: I'm John Kane. This is Resistance Radio. And uh, we'll be back next week, but do come see me in New York on Tuesday night.